0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three professional movie recommenders with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and this is a punch. I'm going to punch you now.
1: I'm Keith Baker, and I'm nobody.
0: And I'm
2: Matt Johnson, and I'm a 1930s English archaeologist that is very hard to understand.
0: On today's show, we'll be checking in on 2021 and discussing a few new releases we missed this year. But before we get to all that good stuff, Matt, last week we launched our newest retrospective and review series. What are we covering, and why should people go back and check that out? Yeah, we'll be talking about one movie today
2: that kind of ties into this, but we've covered Zack Snyder's DCEU. We've talked about Star Wars. We've talked about Daniel Craig's James Bond. You've heard our thoughts on the MCU phase one, and we thought, why not do another series? It's time for John Wick. We covered chapter one last week, and two and three are on their way, so keep an eye out for those.
0: Yeah, and also keep in mind, everybody, we do want to hear from you. So go ahead and message us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Uh, we're still deciding what we want to do for our next bonus series. So shoot us a message and let us know if you have any recommendations of what we could do for another bonus series. Um, and with that, let's just get into the bulk of today's show. While the film industry was largely put on hold last year due to COVID, 2021 has seen things start to ramp back up and many new releases come back to theaters in a hybrid model. With new movies releasing to both the box office and on streaming services it seems like there is now more content than ever before it is also now easier than ever to miss out on some good movies simply because they get lost in the fold well that's exactly why we are here today to take a pulse check on 2021 and discuss a few new movies you may have missed this year we're going to be discussing no sudden move nobody the dig riders of justice and fatherhood so matthew and keith Give me some general thoughts on any or all of these films, the hybrid release model, or the state of movies in 2021. Whatever you want to discuss, let me hear it, and then we'll get into today's show. Yeah, so this was really fun, first of all. I mean, we've done kind
2: of more in-depth movie watching, I guess, when it comes to preparing for our bracket. So It was nice just to have a few to watch this time and more recent movies, obviously. So this was really fun, and I think we picked a pretty good group of movies here. Definitely some variety. You have some kind of straightforward dramas. You have a comedy in there. You have some thrillers and then you have more action movies. So we definitely kind of did a good job hitting some different um, aspects of genre there. So that was fun. And I got to say, I had a really good time watching all of these. I think these are all at least good, which is more than you can hope for, I think, in 2021 with some of the movies we've gotten. couple greats in there, I would say. Um, no bads, just, uh, you know, this was a fun time. So I think we picked some good movies. I'm excited to talk about these.
0: Yeah. I would dare to say that I think we have five hits on our hands, uh, on this list today. I think some are certainly better than others, but like Matt said, there's absolutely no stinkers here. For sure. So we all did a good job. Let's all pat ourselves on the back. We picked a good list of movies for this week's episode.
2: Well, hold on. I'm not going to pat myself on the back until Keith agrees with me, but he might not. (laughs) He might not. Keith, do you agree? I mean, yeah, for the most part, I
1: agree. Oh. There was, I think, there was one or two in here that uh, that went in a different direction. Than I was thinking, true. but overall, I think the performances in all of these movies were very good. That's true. Some of the writing and a couple of them were kind of off for me, uh, but no, I think we should all still pat ourselves in the back, especially for myself for choosing the dig because I did not watch this movie before. It shows that we would, yeah, I was curious cover about it. That. I kind of just guessed that it would be a decent movie based on the trailers that I watched and the uh, synopsis that i read so
0: i'm glad that it turned out to be a, a decent movie
1: <laughs> i was really worried it's gonna be terrible
0: uh, no not at all yeah keith you uh, you mentioned the performances too and and we have a very very star-studded episode this week too tons of big heavy hitter casts uh, a few big name directors too so this is gonna be fun Yeah, it's been a
2: weird year. And it's kind of weird to think about how it's kind of become the new norm. It's going to be weird. And, you know, like next year or the year after whenever I can't watch a movie day and date on HBO Max or you know what I mean? So streaming was already a big thing in our lives. But to think about that going away since we got so used to it for almost two years is such a weird feeling. And I got to say, I don't know if it's because of that or maybe just it it's just so happened to be like what movies were supposed to come out that got pushed. But it's been a weird first half of a year, I feel like, for movies. I don't think a great one, at least based on what I've seen. I mean, honestly, I was looking through the movies uh, to do the show and I was thinking about what I had seen this year. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> most of that's really bad. I mean, I, like Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, Without Remorse, The Little Things, Those that Wish Me Dead. Army of the Dead I had fun with, but it's not like a great movie or anything. So it's just like. I don't know. Most of these movies weren't great, but they were probably a lot better since we got to just, you know, sit at home the same day they came out in theaters and watch them on a streaming service. So that was cool. So I definitely appreciate the hybrid model, but it also has been cool that especially that Keith and I live so close together, we've kind of been able to journey back to movie theaters together in a way. So we've kind of eased back into it. So definitely been a weird year. Um, definitely some really bad movies along the way, but it's been fun. I'm excited to get back to the normal.
0: Yeah, I think um, I'm glad we're doing this episode because I was actually looking back on the year just randomly in my head and was thinking like, man, movies have really sucked this year. And I was going to blame it on COVID. But now that I've kind of seen these five movies that all did release this year, and, and some of them did have to shoot during COVID, I think there's a good amount of good movies out there that maybe just aren't getting the attention that the big tentpole Banner movies are getting. So I'm glad we're talking about some of these films because a lot of the things we watched for this episode did kind of change my perspective on the first half of 2021 so far.
1: Yeah. And going back to the hybrid, hybrid model that they're using now for these movies coming out, it is kind of weird. I don't feel as guilty now, like when I see a bad movie at home. That's, I don't feel yeah. as guilty. I don't mm-hmm. feel as guilty after seeing it as I would wasting time driving to the theater, buying the popcorn, buying the ticket. You're spending 30 bucks. And then at the end you're like you're all pissed off because you, you spent all that time and the movie was terrible. Now I just you know, just turn the remote off or turn the turn the TV off and and I'm, I'm and I'm done. I'm like, Yeah, the movie sucked, but at least I'm at home and I didn't I didn't really didn't have to spend
2: any money. If we had to spend thirty dollars on Godzilla versus Kong or Mortal Kombat, like I genuinely would have been angry. <laughs> like <laughs> it's honestly just it goes from, if you watch it in a theater, it's bad, but if you watch it at home, it's just dumb fun, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, exactly. I guess that's kind of cool. Whereas the opposite for me, I know Austin watched it on Disney Plus, but I like that Keith and I got to see Black Widow in theaters because I feel like if I had watched it at home, it would have been okay, it was fine. But in the theaters, I had a good time with it because it was just big and bombastic and, you know, just fun. So
0: I kind of have the opposite perspective because I'm actually glad I watched that home because I don't feel like I wasted my time. Sure. Where I think if I had gone out to the theaters and everything, even though I spent the same amount of money that I would have spent at a theater, I feel like I would have felt like I wasted my time going to see that one because I just thought it was okay.
1: And sometimes the theater experience, especially if you haven't gone in a while, is cool. Like Matthew and I went and saw Wrath of Man, and I think that was oh probably one of the God. first ones we we'd seen. But <laughs> it was mine.
2: It was my first. Yeah, one, even yeah.
1: though it was not the greatest movie, I mean, just being in the theater and having the popcorn again was nice. But
2: yeah,
0: my first one back was A Quiet Place too. And that was absolutely worth going back to the theaters for. I'm so mm-hmm. glad that was my first experience back, like actually in a, in a box office. And really quick, uh, I know we're going to get into the episode, but I did want to ask you guys, Matt, you mentioned that the hybrid model might be going away completely. Do you think after consumers get so used to being able to do everything in their home, having the option... Do you think it's going to go away totally, or do you think a lot of people are going to adopt what Disney Plus is doing, where you can still see it at home, but you have to pay that extra charge?
2: Yeah, so what I was referring to was specifically what HBO Max is doing, which I've really liked, which is literally the exact same day something comes out in the theater, you can watch it at home for like a limited amount of time for free, like a month long. You can watch it totally for no extra charge, and I really appreciate that because it's a great option. Um, But to Austin's point, I think that will go away. And I think HBO has even said that. I think their whole no extra charge for through the end of this year, they've said that's not going to happen again. But I would say that they're probably going to adopt what someone like Disney Plus is doing, which is, hey, you can stay home and watch Black Widow the exact same day it comes out in theaters But if you want to do that, you have to spend $30 for the premium access. Like it'll come out on Disney Plus for an extra charge, but it's not coming out for a few months. So I think that's what we can expect for the future of HBO Max um, and any other streaming service. Like you're not going to be able to watch Dune 2, I guess, because we know we can see Dune on HBO Max later this year. But Dune 2 is going to be, you can watch it, but you got to spend like 30 bucks at least in order to be able to do that, not in a theater or something like that. So it won't go away completely, but they're going to have to adapt.
0: It was really interesting too this week because Black Widow is now in its second week of release and it yeah. took like a 70% dip from it. It had a record opening for COVID and then immediately plummeted. And it was so interesting to see all the theaters come out and blame it on, on Disney, Disney Plus and say, the only reason we took this hit is because you guys made it available on your streaming service. If you hadn't done this, we would still be riding the high. Of a brand new release, a brand new Marvel movie in our theaters. Which, I mean, they're
2: right. Um, And I get it. It's also one of those things I've seen people comment. It's like, yeah, I I saw Black Widow in theaters and I really liked it. But I'm not going to go see it again in theaters. I'm just going to get it on Disney+. Plus. Why would I see it again in theaters? Because, I mean, going to theaters multiple times, even if we're not people that do that, that is a huge revenue source for theaters, obviously. And that's not going to happen if the second time you watch something, you'll just watch it on a streaming
0: service. It's also crazy, too, because those streaming service numbers is just straight profit for Disney. It doesn't cost them anything if you choose to pay that 30 bucks, whereas you're still paying the distributing fees in theaters and, and all the marketing and stuff, whereas all the marketing on Disney Plus is built into the platform. Yeah. So it is gonna, I'm really interested to see next year where these services opt to go, if they opt to fully take it away and only make their stuff available in theaters, or if they kind of see what disney does this year with that option and then I'm, I'm really curious to see who's going to copy that model i think
2: hbo max is the one to watch like we said because they're the big one that earlier in covid they were like we're releasing all of our tentpole movies in 2021 day and date no extra charge on H on hbo max and that was huge that was crazy they did that that like pissed so many people off but how are they going to adapt that now that things are slowly getting back to normal i don't know probably an additional charge but who's to say not sure I mean, if yeah, if these streaming services really blow up,
1: I mean, and and more revenue goes away from the theaters, it makes me wonder which theaters will survive. Will it? Will these Alamo draft houses with all their expenses, with all their beer and their food and all that, will these guys survive? Or will the smaller theaters go away? With the what just like the big the big guys like Cinemark and AMC, will they stay alive? It makes me just wonder who will who will survive if 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 streaming becomes a new the new norm for watching these new movies.
0: And to that point too, Keith, if streaming becomes the new norm for all new movies, I wonder if like going to the theater becomes like a novelty experience and it's like, oh, this is what they did back in the day. You know what I mean? And then some people go see that because it's like nostalgic, but the bulk of all of the activity is actually happening on the streaming services.
1: Or if, yeah, it'll just maybe become more of a monopoly with theaters. Like just one, one or two or three companies will have all the theaters and all these little small, small budget theaters will just drop off
2: it's a shame because you say like theaters will probably become more of a novelty experience, which is what I assume. But then at the same time, you see actual theaters that provide that experience that are going away. I mean, for those that live in the Houston area, Austin and Keith and I can relate the landmark River Oaks Theater that's been around for like 100 years closed its doors last year due to, you know, rent issues during COVID. I mean, it's a legendary theater that kind of provided drinks and a bit more of a different food atmosphere and, you know, just. A different like, kind of classic theater experience that you can't really get anymore because those theaters are closing because it's harder to stay open. So, yeah, it makes me wonder what that kind of general experience business-wise and as us, the audience, can expect in the future. I'm not really sure yet.
0: Uh, Okay. Good talk, guys. Good theater talk. Uh, We're going to kind of move now into the bulk of our episode. So, once again, we'll be discussing No So To Move, Nobody, The Dig, uh, Riders of Justice, and Fatherhood. We're going to kind of throw up a proceed with caution warning here. We are going to do our best to kind of do general non-spoiler thoughts. There is a chance so that we may spoil some mild things. So if you're interested in any of these movies, I think right here we would say kind of go check them out and then come on back to hear our thoughts. And uh, with that, let's get into it. All right. So let's get into it, guys. Uh, We're first going to start with No Sudden Move. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh. It stars Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, David Harbour, and John Hamm. And our general logline is, in 1950s Detroit, two criminals from different backgrounds must work together when a simple job goes completely sideways.
1: Yeah. From the get-go, I thought this movie was pretty cool. The way it started out it was cool, and I liked all the performances in it for sure. And the story is something that I, I definitely want to rewatch this movie because the story I didn't quite catch everything that was going on. But I don't want to give away any spoilers here. But it just has to do with money and different companies that were around yeah. during that time period. So I definitely want to rewatch the movie to pick up on some things I probably missed this first time around.
2: Yeah, for sure. I had a really fun time with this one. Uh, this This was kind of weird because this one came to HBO Max, but it wasn't one of the ones they were super promoting. I guess like it wasn't like. Godzilla vs. Kong, Mortal Kombat, or even something like Space Jam that just came out. This one just kind of, kind of silently popped up, and I was really excited for it because I love Steven Soderbergh movies. Um, he is certainly known for making great heist movies. Anybody out there, if you've seen the Oceans franchise or Logan Lucky, I mean, he's made tons of variety in his movies, but he does have this weird niche where he likes just random heist stories. And I really liked how this one kind of plays with what you expect from that genre, if that makes sense. Like, The beginning is without spoilers, of course, is like the classic thing you expect of, oh, let's get the team together. And it's a huge cast like, oh, wow, Brendan Fraser's in this. (laughs) Like, It's like (laughs) that's weird. fat Brendan Fraser. (laughs) Yeah. And but then almost immediately, pretty quickly into the movie, it like Austin said in the log line, it goes somewhere you don't expect at all. I thought that was so cool. I like how Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro feel like the main characters, instead of just being random characters, part of an ensemble. I thought that was really cool. And how they each have their own backgrounds and they each know characters that come into the story at different times that are kind of specific to them. So they each have individual goals and watching that to the end and how it plays out was super cool. So while it is kind of a standard heist movie and maybe how it's set up, I like Keith kind of said, the story does kind of go some interesting ways, but I really appreciated that It wasn't a standard story by the end. It kind of tricks you in the beginning in a really cool way for me.
0: Yeah, I definitely had fun with this one, like you guys said. Um, I think the main reason to come for this movie is the cast. It has a crazy standout cast, even more names than what we listed here. It does try to work in like historical events, which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool, too, to the story. Um, Because it's in Detroit, you have the car companies like Ford and GM play a role. So that was an interesting twist for this one, I thought. And then I also felt like the opening of the movie is like 45 minutes long. Like it takes a pretty long time for the actual main plot to kick off. Um, so if you do come in and, and you're not sucked in right away, I would say try to give it to that first hour mark because it does take a bit for events to kind of go sour. And then you actually kind of realize what this movie is really about. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I actually kind of disagree. I That, that was one of the things I liked about it was I felt it got to that weird kind of kickoff play super fast like like i said again i'm not going to spoil it but once they kind of set up the team you kind of expect okay they tell us pretty clearly what their goal is and then they immediately go do it and then things go sideways and then they set up what they're gonna have to do after that so i thought they did a pretty good job of setting it up quickly but obviously that's going to be up you know different people are going to feel differently about it but just personally i thought it was kind of cool how it kind of turns it on its head in a relatively quick way for me i guess
0: yeah i think for me it just took me a a while to figure out what is this movie actually about? That's, and yeah, it's not that's, really yeah, about anything true. until you get to the twist and then where that goes from there. So like, what actually happens to our main characters, that doesn't happen until like an hour into the film. That's true. And then it's like, okay, here's yeah. what we're really focusing on in this movie. Right, 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 right. I agree. I
1: agree. When they were chas- and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. When they're chasing the money, I'm like, where's this money coming from? Who are they talking about this whole time? I uh, had no yeah. idea. I
2: definitely wasn't able to keep up with every element of that either and I it's it's pretty dense to be honest
1: but it was really cut kind of like an older movie i don't know if you yeah i know austin you don't like the older movies but i mean if you've seen some movies like in the 60s and from from the 60s and 70s it's, and especially from the, the start of this movie with the the font that came over the and the music yeah. that was playing it just felt like one of those older steve mcqueen like clint eastwood dirty harry kind of uh action movies uh, which I thought was kind of cool. So it was kind of cool that Steven Soderbergh kind of was able to implement that. Well,
2: it's also cool because people out there don't know Steven Soderbergh is, I don't know what you would call him, maybe a perfectionist. I'm not sure what he would call himself, but it's kind of funny. If you go do some research, you actually find out that he does a lot more on his sets than you'd expect. He edits all of his movies and he's also the cinematographer on most of his movies. The reason you might not know that is because he doesn't, he's not one of those guys that likes to say... This is a Steven Soderbergh film. Like he doesn't want to take credit, so he uses uh, pseudonyms for whenever like it pops up on screen. Like there's fake names because he's the actual cinematographer. He actually edits the movies, but it says different names. So to your point, Keith, it's kind of cool because not only was he directing it, but he shot it and edited it, and it definitely kind of all comes together and feels like a really gritty older movie. And there was actually kind of rare like rare times where I was like. Taken out from the cast, if that makes sense. Like, I honestly thought I was watching not like a movie from the fifties, obviously, but just an older movie and how it was yeah. made. So I thought that was pretty cool.
0: So no spoilers, of course. But how do you guys feel about the way this one ends? Because I don't think it sticks the landing with the ending. I feel like it just kind of ends, and all of our characters are like, there's not really any resolution with any of the characters except for one. And then this weird blurb comes up about the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, that was. Stupid. And it's like, what? That's not what this movie was about at all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I like the way it ends with Don Cheadle's character, and mm-hmm. then the rest of the characters. I, I have no idea. That's why I got to rewatch this thing and and kind of try to pick up on what was going on with the whole the heist and all that, all the money and everything like that.
2: Yeah, Keith said it in a really cool way. It was like the a lot of this movie is about chasing the money, and the money changes hands, and the amount of money changes hands. So it kind of becomes uh, an interesting follow. The one thing I liked by the end was that. There was a lot kind of set up about the pointlessness of what these characters are doing. So I appreciated by the end they did kind of hit that home. Especially I'll just say with John Ham's character, what he was doing was kind of hitting that home too. But to your guys' point, I do agree. The only one that feels satisfying and like a good for you <laughs> was the Don Cheadle ending, I thought anyway. So since you have such a huge ensemble cast, I do feel like it kind of makes you go, uh, eh, you know. I wish like it felt better, but David Harbor at the end again with the pointlessness. I just loved how he's like, "God, it's only Tuesday!" <laughs> like they go <laughs> through this entire crazy thing, and by the end, it doesn't really matter. Especially based on what the companies do to them. So I thought I thought that was cool, but it definitely didn't stick the landing in
0: every aspect. I'm just happy we got to talk about Don Shootle again. I love it when we talk about Don he's Cheadle so on good the show. in this movie. He was great. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, really he good. looks so old too. The way he does
1: his voice, he has that gravelly, yeah, like that smoker's voice. voice. That was cool.
2: You know what? I want to see Don
0: Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro team up again. I thought they were a good little pair. For some reason, I thought you were going to say, I want to see Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro make out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to it, I guess. I'd be curious. <laughs> <laughs> we might get Don Cheadle and David Harbour in a Marvel
2: movie or something oh, like that. Oh, War Machine and Red Guardian team up.
0: Uh, okay, so let's keep moving on through our little list here. Uh, now we have Nobody, which is directed by Elia Nishuler and stars Bob Odenkirk and Alexki, Sarah Bryakov. And our general log line is a bystander with a hidden past intervenes to help a woman being harassed by a group of men. His actions cause him to become the target of a vengeful Russian mobster. Really impressed how
1: you stuck the landing with that last name on Alexi.
0: <laughs> you said that really I practiced smoothly. like six times before
2: we started <laughs> recording. <laughs> I like that guy. He was good. Yes, this is obviously what I was referring to at the top. You know, we just talked about John Wick last week and we're we'll talking about John Wick chapter two and three in the coming lease as part of our retrospective interview series. And nobody kind of an interesting movie, certainly in that same type of vein, I would suppose. You have David Leitch producing it, so obviously there's some- Written
0: by Derek Kolstad, who originally created John Wick. Yeah, so they're
2: definitely, it's purposeful in kind of making it feel the same way. And this was just a movie that I missed earlier this year, um, and I really wanted to see it. It got great reviews and just somehow slipped me by. I don't think I was ready for movie theaters. I don't think this one came out on a streaming service, so just kind of had to wait for it. And I really enjoyed it. I definitely have some, I wouldn't, I think they're more than nitpicks. I have some definite negatives with this movie. That being said, it flew by and was a really fun time. So I'm really, really curious since we just talked about John Wick, what you guys thought of this movie.
0: Yeah, I think this is the less serious version of John Wick, if that makes sense. Like it's very self-aware. It has a lot of fun with its story. At the same time, it tries to present a very serious story. So there is yeah. kind of a weird line to walk with this one. It's very violent, extremely violent. And some of that violence paired with comedy doesn't always stick the landing. Uh, but for the most part, I had a great time with this one. Bob Odenkirk is badass. It's a very different role from him than, than what I've seen from him in the past. Um, and also, this is weirdly, like, I think of all the movies on this list, this one definitely got the most press, I'd say. Oh, easily. Yeah. It's pretty well known by the general public. Um, so we might just be late to the game here. I would say it was worth the wait. I'm I'm really glad that I finally got around to seeing this one.
1: I'm a big Bob Odenkirk fan because I love Breaking Bad uh, mm-hmm. with him as Saul Goodman. And I've I don't know about you guys, but I've been watching uh, Better Call Saul. He just plays those kind of characters really well. Like these, what you a guy you would think would be nerdy and kind of dorky is actually like, this this guy who like plays really dirty and is kind of a badass. Uh, and then this one just definitely just heightened that. And as far as the story with this one, it kind of brought that same thing with, that we all kind of liked from John Wick, is that he has a backstory that we don't really know about, but we're willing to just accept it. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was just a fun story that I liked that they brought Christopher Lloyd in from, oh. from Back to the Future. Yeah, So cool. So and Rizza. I'm a big Rizza fan, too. so good, too.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, cool cast, and it was just fun. Yeah. To that point, Keith, just real quick, I liked how this one, I love Bob Odenkirk as well, but- To his credit, it's like when you look at Keanu Reeves, despite his age, you're like, yeah, he's a badass. So it worked in John Wick whenever um, Michael Nickfist as Vigo is just telling this monologue to his son like, it's not what you did. It's who you did it to. John Wick, not the boogeyman, the guy you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. It's like, okay, he's a badass. I get it. I liked how in this movie it was the inverse. It's like, I mean – maybe he's a badass but i don't really believe it so we don't get any of the backstory until the sequence on the bus from the trailers and it's like oh i'm seeing him be a badass so now i actually believe it whenever they tell us his backstory
0: later so i liked how it was a little bit different yeah and i didn't expect there to be a backstory Me in this one. i always thought the premise for this one was just some everyday dude gets put through the ringer he's embarrassed he didn't like stick up for his family And I don't think this is a spoiler because it's in the log line, but the backstory plays a way larger role than I was expecting in the plot. And there is like, there's some really fun stuff with the backstory. And then there was a few things that I was kind of questioning throughout the movie. Um, But kind of to Keith's point in like modern, like writing age, is there anybody that world builds better than Derek Kolstad at the moment? I mean, he created the whole John Wick trilogy and then he's kind of doing it again with nobody, which looks like it's going to be its own franchise too. I hope so.
2: Yeah. I hope they've greenlit a sequel. I don't know if they have. I definitely want to see one um, for sure. I guess that kind of in a weird way leads in a good way to my issues with the movie. So I had a few. I I listed three of them. I want to to get your guys' thoughts on this. So the first one is that the thing I loved about John Wick Chapter One is that it feels so self-contained and it feels like they told a full story. And then that story happened to get a sequel because it was like it made money, it was popular, but they clearly weren't planning on making a sequel. It feels like when you watch this one, like they're already planning on a sequel, if that makes sense. Like there's definitely elements, particularly at the end, that are introduced that it's like, okay, I mean, it happened fast, it was cool
0: really cool, but it kind of just feels like, oh, they're setting up for Nobody too. There's a reason for that, though, I think. I think the reason for that is John Wick was Derek Kolstad's first feature film, and he didn't even know he was going to be able to sell it. And now he's had some success, so now he, of course, wants more franchises because he wants to keep working. You know what I mean? I agree, and I want to see Nobody too, But
2: if we don't get one, then I'm going to be disappointed, if that makes sense. Um, my other ones were, I thought the father-son storyline- was not resolved really at all i was kind of hoping for maybe just a scene at the end to give us a little bit of closure there and then here's my main one and i'm this because this is i have to say this this was one of the weirdest things that has ever happened when watching a movie for this podcast i'm not joking here because it's kind of a good thing and kind of a bad thing so i was watching this movie i was having a good time and we get to a scene that is like a huge action sequence i won't say which one but it's like oh this is really cool like He's finally just full throttle. He's not holding back. He's—I guess—he's going to interact with the villain. That's going to be super cool. And I paused. I had to go to the restroom, and I was like, "What? There's only 20 minutes left." So it was good in the sense that the—I was already over an hour in. I thought it was like halfway through the movie, but the bad part of that was, I was like, "What?" We're already at the end. Like the escalation felt a little bit off for me in this movie. We get the amazing bus sequence that like you see in the trailers. And then after that, it's like, oh, I'm back. And then there's a couple more action, like a little action sequence. And then whenever he's full throttle going after the villain, there's really only like 15, 20 minutes left. And I like I wanted to get more of the villain at that point. I wanted to get more of their interaction And then by the end, it was like, oh, they're throwing in sequel stuff here. They're they're world building. They're introducing more characters. I get it. It just felt like, I don't know what they could have done differently. It just felt like by that time I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're wrapping things up. It just went by super quick. I thought we would have gotten more character stuff in the middle there, maybe another action sequence. So I don't know. Does, Does that make any sense what I'm saying? I was just surprised whenever we got to the end. It felt like too quick, maybe.
1: Yeah, it did go by pretty quick. And I guess we didn't really get to really establish the villain all that much. But I get, that's kind of more of a John Wick kind of thing too, right? I sure. mean, this guy is supposed to be some Russian badass or whatever he is. Uh, he goes into a club and slices some dude's neck open, and like, oh shit, this guy's for real. But mm-hmm. he's just some singer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it's, for me. It worked. It didn't really bother me too much. Um, mm-hmm. I think. I think what really stuck the landing for me was the uh, the Christopher Lloyd and Riza
2: ending. Yeah, and I re- I really loved how they set up Riza throughout the movie as this just like. W- because really, I think the first element of the movie that kind of gives you a glimpse into the larger world is like he has this weird radio in his office and it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, Rizzo was really cool in the movie.
0: Yeah, I agree with you that it was really quick, Matt. I think the thing that worked for me is this movie is so violent. I would, I think you could almost make the argument more so than John Wick 1 in terms of violence that I think anymore it would have overstayed its welcome. Um, and the other thing that worked for me is I like... They introduce this element of the object, which is like the mobster's 401k. Yeah. And in another movie, that becomes the main plot. And I like that the way they use it, it's kind of a quick device and, yeah. and we go on to something different. And so that was another thing that kind of worked for me, even though it did wrap up very quickly.
2: Yeah. 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 I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know I'm, I'm, I was being negative. But now that you guys kind of gave me your thoughts, I think it helped me figure out what my actual issue was. And it's not that like it moved too quickly or anything. It's just that- the whole movie is like, oh, I'm not like this badass. And then whenever his like, you know, family leaves, it's like, OK, I'm going to reembrace my old badass self. But it kind of feels like a half measure until a certain point. And then it's like, OK, fuck it. I'm going after these guys. So we really only get like 15 minutes of him being like a full on badass. True. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like whenever I pause it, I was like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. I got to go take a quick break. And then I come and it's like, oh, OK, I guess it's ending. So it's a nice tease for sure. For like the future, it's like, okay, he's going to be kind of full on going forward. But it's just another example of I really hope we get a sequel because if we don't, then I wish we would have gotten kind of more not violent moments, but just kind of hutch being hutch, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, He's almost like the hard R badass version of the dad from Spy Kids. Whoa, Antonio
2: Banderas. <laughs>
0: How dare you? <laughs> he is, though. He, he kind of is. is. Yeah, that's like, a good especially call. when they come to his house, you know, and he locks it down. He's like, oh, this movie's awesome. I will just say,
2: I know we're talking a lot about nobody, and anyway, I can't help it. The best kill in the movie, you got to talk about best kills when you talk about movies like this. Whenever he pins the guy against the table, And then further pins him and starts choking him by basically walking up his body while his back is against the wall. And he's just moving his back up the wall, choking this guy out. And then another guy runs up to him. He grabs the gun, just shoots him sideways, doesn't even look at the guy, and then kills the guy. I was like, my jaw dropped. I had an actual jaw drop moment. I was like, that was so cool. And of (laughs) course, of course, the 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 sniper bullet getting three guys at once was another jaw drop moment for sure. Ooh, that was sweet. I'm so glad like we waited this long to watch it in a weird way because if we hadn't, I probably would have remembered the trailers. And I remembered nothing when I watched this. And I was I was with you, Austin. I was like, I remembered like the whole thing like he didn't help his family, so he's gonna go get trained to be a badass and then be a badass.
0: It's like, oh no, there's a reason why he didn't. And it was actually <laughs> pretty cool. Um, okay, we got a long list here to get through, so let's keep moving. Uh, we now have the dig, which is directed by Simon Stone. It stars Ray Fiennes, Carrie Mulligan, Lily James, and Johnny Flynn. And our general log line for this one is on the eve of World War II, an archaeologist embarks on the historically important excavation of Sutton Ho in 1938. So, Keith, tell us about your all time favorite, <laughs> The Dig. Yeah, I took uh, kind of a gamble
1: choosing this one. Going into it, um, yeah, I liked the whole story. I thought it was pretty cool, taking place before World War II. And- Having like the, the whole British museum people come after them and kind of take charge and just the whole politics behind actually ex- excavating something yeah. like that that's so old. It, I mean, it's, it's really weird to think about that people are digging things up like that that are thousands of years old or hundreds. Like this was hundreds of years old. Um, yeah, it was just a cool story. Do you guys have any negatives with it, or did you guys like it for the most part?
0: I don't know if this is a negative, because it's not a fault of the movie, but similarly to No Set A Move, this one's a slow starter, for sure. Um, They do find really unique ways to work in some dramatic elements to the story, and I was very invested in every single person's story by the time the credits rolled, but it does take... I think an hour into the film before he kind of gets a broader team and and more characters are introduced. So it does take a while for this one to kind of pick up steam. Um, Ray Fines and Carrie Mulligan carry kind of the first half of the film and their relationship is super interesting, but I think it becomes more compelling when more characters are put on screen.
1: Yeah. I would have liked to seen a little bit more details into the actual excavation. It got a little bit too dramatic for me with all the different characters and all their, their little things going on. I mean, it was, it was okay, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of how the actual archaeology behind all of it went.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, I don't think it's the movie's fault, but it is funny that Austin felt the same way because I was watching this one later at night a few nights ago, and I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, I just have to pause this one and come back to it." Like, th- like
0: it's very tomorrow. artsy
2: too. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's beautifully shot. The movie looks incredible, and the acting, like you guys mentioned, is fantastic. But it was just the way they set up the story in the beginning that for some reason it didn't connect with me. So I'm really glad that I paused it and came back to it like, you know, the next day because I think I was in a better headspace for it. And I think the middle, I think what you guys are talking about, once they get the team together, once they start excavating it, whenever like the whole drama comes in of, well, like I know you found it on this land, but we're the British Museum, so it's ours. And then we're going to be part of the team. And then you are kind of always wondering what's going to happen with everything they find. Super compelling. Really love that. Um, And then the ending, it's weird. Because the ending was well made and I liked the direction they went. But it was kind of anticlimactic. But then I was also thinking, well, the reason that it's anticlimactic is because of the story. It's like they found all their stuff and then had to cover it and rebury it because World War II was happening. So you don't want to damage anything. So it was like, well, it makes sense. It's just kind of a weird ending for the story they're telling. But then I was like, but it's a true story. I So I wouldn't call that the negative. Uh, To Keith's final question, the only actual negative I had was I really, really liked Lily James in the movie and like the whole Peggy Pickett character I thought was super compelling. And after doing some more research on that character, I was like, oh, this is actually a really cool person, like the archaeologist that was active until the early 90s. And not that the research kind of affected it, but I just thought that After she was introduced, I was excited for what story was going to go on with that, and ultimately it was just kind of a pretty bland love triangle plot that I thought was kind of lame, and that was really the end of her story was kind of the resolution to that love triangle. And I thought that was not great because I was really interested in that character in the beginning, and I just felt like once they introduced her, they kind of wasted her. But that's my, that's my only actual negative. I, I thought the movie was super well made. So it was, I think, extra jarring to have something like that that was pretty standard, like rom-com plot that felt so out of place to me. So that was my only actual negative.
0: Yeah, I thought Keith also had a really good point because the movie is about the excavation of Sutton Ho. And, and from what they say in the movie, this is the dig where they realized that in the Dark Ages, they had culture, they had their own so cool. currency, ways of doing things. Yeah. And there's only like two scenes of that. Uh, and yeah. that was actually really interesting. So that I don't know how you work that into a movie without it feeling like a lecture, mm-hmm. um, but it would have been cool to learn more about the actual dig and what it meant for how we look upon history. Yeah, it would have been cool to have like Ray Fiennes talk about
2: it more. I know I get what you're saying. You don't want it to do a lecture, but since he is kind of set up as the main character, it would have been cool to have more of a focus on him during those scenes. You get the one where he like finds a coin, for example. And it's like, oh, they had an economy longer than we thought that's really it. it's it's mostly other characters reacting to it and it's like well he's supposed to be our expert right i would have liked to have heard more from his perspective since he's the main character um but it didn't really work out that way
0: it's also a very dirty and sweaty movie oh. like everybody's out here digging in three-piece <laughs> yeah. suits like full cotton suits it's like what were we doing back here How was anybody ever comfortable and then
2: they all go back to the <laughs> mansion and sit on each other's like couches and chairs and they're like yeah. just like covered in dirt it's like what <laughs>
0: They go to a pub with the windows barred up because of the bombings. Ugh, so that's all hot bad and did steamy it stink too. In there. Oh my god! <laughs> Ugh, I'm telling you, nobody started living comfortably until like 2010. <laughs> 2010. <laughs> why 20? Why Why not 2009? I don't know. It's a new decade in 2010. That's that true. was a good number to throw out there. Fresh slate. Fresh slate. <laughs> Yeah,
2: I mean, in all seriousness, so this one, this one is kind of a weird recommendation because it's certainly a really good movie and definitely interesting. I like movies like this. It kind of reminds me of, obviously not similar genre, but something like Dunkirk, for example, which I always like getting World War II stories, which is so kind of shoved in all of our faces in media. It's always cool to learn something new about World War II, about that, like this incredible and this amazingly important moment in history. That we should all know about, and finding out new things that I had no idea about, the fact that an 1,000-year-old Anglo-Saxon ship was found like on the eve of World War II is super cool, and like doing the extra research on it, what an amazing story, so I'm glad they told the movie about it. Definitely has some flaws, but certainly worth
0: watching, so I'm glad this one was on Netflix and easy to access.: And somehow it was' preserved and not bombed the shit during the actual War. Yeah, too. It's yeah crazy. let's keep going here. We now have uh, Riders of Justice, which is directed by Anders Thomas Jensen. It stars Mads Mikkelsen, Nikolaj lais Andrea Gadeberg, and Lars Brigman. Um, and our general logline for this one is, after the tragic death of his wife in a train accident, Marcus must return home from deployment in Afghanistan. He falls back on his military skills when he learns his wife's death may not be an accident. Yeah, I was excited
2: for this one. I, w- I do want to start, though, with this. I did not watch the trailers for this, so Austin, as somebody that you know, you picked this one. I'm sure you watched the trailers. What were you expecting before we get into our thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, so I did. I did see a trailer for this one. It's weird because the way the the way the trailer pitches it, it's kind of like it looks like it's going to be John Wick with Mads Mikkelsen. Um, it's a very action focused, action heavy trailer. Uh, so I was surprised to see that action is not really the focus of this movie. It's weirdly a Christmas story, and then also focuses a lot on um, grief and, and trauma different than what I expected going into it. Uh, but overall, I was I was still very happy with this blown away, as always, by Mads Mikkelsen um, and and really had a great time with this one. Mads Mickelson is
2: just like, I think, one of the greatest actors. <laughs> he's just.
0: Yeah, he's great.
2: Incredible. Yeah. What do you think, Keith? Because this was I, I'll just say I liked this one, but um, a different watch from what we're used to. So I'm, I was curious what you might think. Yeah, I did like it, but it did not
1: go in the direction I thought it was going to go and I read when I read the plot summary, it said something along the lines of a train uh, crashes and there just so happens to be two mathematicians on board and blah 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 blah. So I was like, oh okay, cool. Yeah. But I was like, Mads Mikkelsen, he's definitely gonna be a killer in this because just the way he looks on the cover of the of the um, of the movie IMDb profile thing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, there's some, gonna be some action, of course, but these two mathematicians, what are they about? So I was going into it thinking it was gonna be like half kind of these guys are going to use some sort of like algorithms to prove to the government that this wasn't an accident and they're going to go like way in depth on that to actually try to prove yet that it wasn't an accident. And then on the other half, they're going to have Mads Mikkelsen being the military guy that they're kind of also working with. Who's doing more of the infiltrating on the physical side of this, of this biker gang. And which was kind of what it was at the beginning, which and what I thought it was going to be. But then, like you said, it kind of goes in a different direction and, and it turns Mormon into this guy's just going to kill everybody that had to do with this accident. And these other guys are just kind of helping out with that now. So um, whether that turned me off or not, I'm not sure yet. Uh, but it, at, the end, at the end of the watch, I was like, all right, it was still a cool movie. Uh, just did not go the way I expected.
2: Yeah, I think um, I'm so glad that I, I was aware of this movie. And I was always aware of like, it's the Mad Mickelson John Wick movie. Um, But I knew nothing beyond that. So whenever, Keith, like you're talking about looking at the log line and saying something about mathematicians, I I thought that was so cool that this movie has elements of like Mads is just a soldier home from war trying to, you know, fix the family unit after the wife dies tragically. But then you have these mathematicians that are like, well, it wasn't an accident. Like We can prove it. So and they find the person, of course, ends up being Mad Mickelson. It's like, well, hey, Oh, are, you, you're a military guy? Oh, that's that's convenient because we found the person responsible. You should probably do something about it. And it's like, oh, okay. And just this element of like how they did this weird balance of real life consequences, And then there's also accidents that happen. There's also coincidences. And there's also like purposeful actions. Like how do you kind of resolve all those things? And I think they did a good job of tying that into, Mads' character, Marcus, like his PTSD, because he's so used to fighting a war. They set up in the beginning that he like whenever like he keeps staying to fight longer. But Whenever he is home, it's like a hurt locker situation. It's like he doesn't want to be home. He wants to be fighting. So it's like whenever he comes home in this situation where he's forced to be there, it's like he continues to wage this war. And the question is, are you waging against the right people? Maybe people are telling you you are. But whenever it turns out, maybe they're not responsible, how do you kind of resolve that? Like you're still fighting, but should you? And so to that point and to that end, this movie ended up being way more of a drama than an action movie. And I loved it. That being said, like I said, I didn't see any trailers or any log lines. So I think that probably helped because I wasn't expecting that. Um, I thought this was a really cool movie that balanced all these different elements super well.
0: Yeah, I loved it too. I really appreciated that it tried to go deeper than just an action-packed revenge story. Because um, even though we have had some you know, good genre resetting ones like John Wick and of course Nobody Now, um, that genre still is staled and tired. So I was really glad that there was a lot more to the surface than just a Mads Mickelson John Wick movie. I also kind of like what you were talking about, Matt. I really like how for a lot of the movie, Marcus is fighting therapy. And he's like, no, no therapists are coming to my house. But the second Just some random dude shows up and says, hey, there might be a way for you to fight. He latches onto that immediately, no questions asked. And so I really like that there are consequences for those decisions, like you said. And the consequences actually do play a huge role in the plot, and especially in the way the movie wraps up. Um, And then every character in this movie also has trauma. There's varying degrees of it, from grief to abuse to just bullying, like all kinds of stuff that plays into each one of these characters. Every character in this movie has their own grief and trauma that they're dealing with. And it's such an unlikely group, a misfit group of friends, but they all kind of come together and end up supporting each other throughout the movie. And yeah, like the
2: whole like the mathematician element and the whole coincidence thing. You have a scene where a mathematician is talking to a young girl about the death of her mother. This young girl is trying to resolve that. Like, how did this happen? I'm going to make like a list of events to try and figure out whose fault it is. And then he comes in and it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, that was the first event that happened, but you have to think about like all the other events that spiral out of those. So what you're doing is pointless and like, it's, he's not being mean about it. It's just, he's giving like this girl closure in a weird way. Like all these like weird elements of the story about like coincidence and consequence. And like I said earlier, like purposeful action and accidents. Like I, I had no, <laughs> no idea that was going to be part <laughs> of this movie, but it was so cool seeing Mads Mickelson just this, Guy born in violence, as they said, basically, in the movie having to have three friends that are all just these weird, kind of eccentric mathematicians. It was so, it was so cool. I, I thought it was, yeah, just super awesome.
0: And with this movie being subtitled too, like, I don't know how they did it, but the Lars Brinkman character had me laughing so much oh, about the yeah. film. Great point.
1: That's what I was going to ask you guys. Which language did you watch it? And I watched it in, in the Danish or Dutch version.
0: Yeah, I watched the Danish version too. Yeah, I did that too. Dub stuff never works well, I don't think. Just the mouth not lining up with the words just doesn't work for me. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's actually a really great point. Like I was
2: watching it I was laughing at all like the Lenart and all the Emman Toller lines. Like those are just really kind of <laughs> silly and goofy characters that were having me laughing, which is a hard thing to do whenever you're like kind of looking at the bottom of the screen but also using your peripherals to see the characters. Like the fact that like I was laughing out loud at moments is a pretty Tough thing to do. And also, just kind of like an extra recommendation. I don't know if you guys have seen any of these. I think, Austin, maybe you had mentioned it at one point, but obviously Mads Mikkelsen is Danish, so he has tons of movies out there where he's speaking in his native language. But he's also, I would say, if you kind of like the balance in this movie of drama, character, like, growth and just serious emotions, but with levity. This movie has tons of levity, too, amongst all the serious stuff. Mads Mikkelsen, he also did um, The Hunt. And he also did Another Round. last. Another Round was from last year. The Hunt was from a few years ago. Those are amazing movies. They're Danish films as well. I would definitely recommend those. I think he's a great actor whenever he's like, you know, speaking English or whatever. But I think there's kind of like another, whenever he's speaking kind of natively, there's another kind of element to it, which is super cool. So I definitely recommend those two films too.
0: You know, we've talked about it for a long time that we'd love to do an episode on one actor's uh, like filmography or career. Mads Mikkelsen would be a great topic, I think. We didn't have to think about that. Um, I got to know before we move on, uh, is this a new Christmas Eve viewing for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> I will say it was a little bit weird watching this one, like
2: not at Christmas, whenever like the music came on at the beginning and like the setup and then, dude, that, that final scene. I won't spoil, of course I won't spoil, but the, how the final, I'll just say how the final scene ties into the beginning of the movie and also the theme of like coincidence and who's at fault and stuff was so
0: perfect. And I was like, I kind of wish I was watching this at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's get into our final movie of the day. Uh, we now have Fatherhood, directed by Paul Weitz. It stars Kevin Hart, Alfred Woodard, Dewanda Wise, and Melody Hurd. And our general logline for this one is, a father must raise his daughter as a single dad after the unexpected death of his wife who died a day after their daughter's birth. Uh, so I'll kick us off for this one. I was surprised when Matt... Um, recommended this one. Cause I think we've talked about it before, but for me, Netflix just does not have a good track record with their original movies. And this is a Netflix original. And when I saw Netflix original Kevin Hart immediately, I was like, yep, that's going to be a skip for me. And then of course, uh, Matt recommended it. And I was pleasantly surprised to find a very heartwarming story, a very funny story. Um, Kevin Hart displays a lot more emotion than what I've seen from him in the past in his other films. And, yeah, I, I had a good time with this one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same for me. I mean, it was just a, it was a very simple story, a realistic story. That's what
1: it really felt like to me. It just felt really real. Uh, There really wasn't anything in there that was make-believe to me at all. So, uh, yeah, and Kevin, going to Kevin Hart, yeah, we are used to seeing him in, like, the funny roles. So it was kind of cool seeing him. I don't think I've ever seen Kevin Hart cry before, really. So it was kind of
2: interesting see- seeing him show a different side. Yeah, I thought this was cool because – um. The other four movies we've talked about is more kind of what I watch day-to-day, if that makes sense, like those types of movies, kind of that spread of genres. But I am one of those guys that I want to watch a feel-good movie every now and then. You know, I need a bit of a palate cleanser, and I thought this was just a really – a better palate cleanser than I thought it would be. I just kind of watched it on a whim after a recommendation. I was like, I'll check it out. I mean, I don't love Kevin Hart's stand-up, but I like him in movies, so yeah – I'll see it and I thought this one was actually way better than I thought it would be a little bit deeper and I really liked how this one definitely I guess kind of a theme through all these movies is it defied what we expected this one's certainly not to the level of the other ones but I really liked how this one wasn't the simple story of I can't wait to have a kid oh no my wife died so tragically in the beginning I don't want this kid now. But I will accept them. I love you, kid. And then the movie ends, like roll credits. And it's like, that was stupid. Um, I liked how this one was a deeper dive and actually kind of in a real way, despite all the comedy, really dealt with like persisting guilt, responsibility, moving on from family members and friends dying. And I, I really appreciated how this one actually dealt with the story more, I'll just say, if we don't want to spoil it, over a longer period of time than I thought it would.
0: So I thought that was super cool. They show that in the trailer, though. There is a time jump in this movie, which was appreciated for me, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was actually really awesome. And like watching him try to form a new relationship with a young daughter was super unexpected and dealt dealt with in a really real way. So yeah, I actually thought this was a little bit more than your standard kind of Netflix rom-com kind of comedy, just family drama. I thought it was pretty good, actually. I'm really glad they did
1: have a time jump, and they just—they didn't just keep yeah. his daughter a baby. And then I was just expecting, oh man, I already know, I already know where it's gonna end. It's gonna end with him like changing a diaper, and the mom's gonna come in, and be like, "You're right, you can handle it, kid." He's exactly, like, yeah. Keith,
0: exactly. <laughs> I, was like,
1: I already know where this movie's
0: going, but yeah, yeah, with the time
1: jump and all the other things that go on in between, it made it, uh, made it a better movie.
0: Yeah, I guess, um, I guess I'm kind of on the opposite of Matt. I, for the most part, enjoy Kevin Hart's stand-ups, but I don't like any of his movies. And while I do think he is really good, I think his best scenes and his funniest scenes are still when he's basically just doing like a stand-up bit on screen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I think what I would basically say is whenever it comes time to do a dramatic moment, I think he does good with it. But you're right. I think whenever it comes to the comedy, that's when they nail it. And you have better actors surrounding him, like Alfre Woodard, who's just an amazing actress playing the mother, I guess, and Kevin Hart's mother-in-law. Uh, the kind of help those scenes propel a bit more forward. And then you have the opposite. You have characters that aren't doing the whole like Kevin Hart drama slash comedy thing. You have like Lil Relin there who's just making me laugh the entire time. <laughs> and the guy from Barry who plays uh, his other friend that was equally making me laugh.
0: So Anthony Kerrigan. Anthony Kerrigan, Anthony that's right. Kerrigan's yeah, great yeah, yeah. in this movie. So I was good. so happy to see him pop up because I love Barry and I'm so glad he was in this one too. So funny. The uh, the scene when he's describing the various types of poops to the mother's group had me <laughs> laughing so hard, though. I thought we were going to get more of that. I thought that was actually like a really good scene. I thought there was
2: going to be more of I like was, a. I Yeah, I
0: was hoping he was going to bond with the mother's group. Yeah. Yeah, too, I was too. too. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to start wrapping up here. Um, before we go, though, we discussed five movies here. Um, I wanted to know what you guys thought. How would you... Rank these movies. Which one would you recommend the most? Let's go um, favorite to least favorite of these five. So
2: this is going to be kind of an interesting list because like Austin said, I'm going to try and mix my top five into I like them, but it's not going to be like my favorites. It's also going to be like what I would recommend first. So I liked all these, like I said, but the one I would put at number five, I would recommend the least, but still should watch it, is The Dig. Number four. I would say Fatherhood. Number three, I would go Nobody. Number two, I would go No Sudden Move. And number one, I gotta go with my boy Mads, Riders of Justice.
0: Um, I'll go next. So I'm going to go what I would most recommend to what I would least recommend. Number one, I'm going to go Riders of Justice. Number two, I'm going to go The Dig. Ooh. Number three, I'm going to go Nobody. Number four, I'm going to go Fatherhood. And number five, I'm going to go No Sudden Move. What? Interesting.
2: Interesting. Okay. Okay.
0: Number one for me,
1: No Sudden Move. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Number two, Nobody. Number three, Writers of Justice. Number four, The Dig. And number five, Fatherhood.
2: Nice. Okay. I really
1: like No Sudden Move. I need to watch it again so I can pick up, some, pick up on some things, but I just like the overall ambiance of it. And Me too. Steven Soderbergh, I hope he can make something else kind of like that in the future.
0: For sure. All right. Well, we are going to start closing things out, but before we do, we of course need to do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. Uh, if you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode, and our boy Keith always starts us off. Keith, what is your award today?
1: The Best Handshake Award goes to Emmentaler. From writers of justice,
0: that was a solid handshake. I did like how he yeah. like twists his body a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was fun. That I was enjoyed funny. it. <laughs> I'm gonna give the could use some hair plugs award to Don Cheadle for No of Move. Mm. I don't know how they did it, but Don Cheadle looks 90 years old in that movie. <laughs> He's balding, his mustache is graying, his skin's wrinkly as hell, and he could for sure use some hair plugs. Needs his
1: lungs cleaned out too. God. sound like he
2: smoked like a carton of cigarettes to to prepare for the (laughs) role. All right. Mine's got to go. Easiest award I've ever given. I'm going to give Riza the three for one award. I'm going to say he had one bullet. Took out three guys and I got to give an award. I know it's simple. I know it's not too exciting, but I was so impressed that my jaw dropped and I have to call it out. If you know, you know. If you know, you know.
0: Okay. Really quick. This, of course, was a check-in on 2021. So before we go into the outro, let's go around the horn. One movie each that we are excited for that comes out at the end of 2021.
1: Yeah. Mine would have to be No Time to Die. God, I hope that's good. I really hope that's
0: good. Me too, <laughs> I man. man. Me, me too. can't do another bad one. Mine is a movie that I have been excited for since I think 2017, and it got delayed got delayed. We hit COVID, got delayed again, and that is Antlers. I can't wait to see that horror movie. I think it's going to be unique. I think it's going to be scary. I have no idea what the hell is going on in those trailers, and I can't wait to finally see it in theaters, hopefully this year. Interesting. I really thought Austin was going to go with something else. I actually crossed one out
2: because I assumed Austin would pick it, so I guess I'll have to take it now. Of course, I'm excited for all the Marvel movies, Spider-Man No Way Home, Toby Maguire. Come on, come through, baby. I need you in that movie. But Austin didn't pick it, so I got to go. We got the new trailer today. I cannot wait for Dune, people. Denis Villeneuve, he's going to hit us hard at the end of this year with Dune. That trailer looked great today. Three and a half minutes of pure awesomeness. Can't
0: wait. Keep trying to start that book, but that book is so dense. I want to read it so badly, but I can't get into the first few chapters. We'll figure it out eventually. We'll figure it out that's going to do it for us today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. Uh, and hey, if you wouldn't mind, please leave us reviews as well. Um, even if you don't want to write anything, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social and the arnie's.media is the website. And like Matt said at the top, we'll be back on Tuesday. As we continue our retrospective and review series covering the John Wick trilogy, time for John Wick Chapter 2. That's right. It's going to be
2: super fun. Can't wait for that. In the meantime, if you're craving some bonus Arnie's content, we just wrapped up Loki Season 1 the other week. So go check out our thoughts on that. We can't wait for more. And like we also said, let us know. What are we going to talk about next? You know, We have a slot open. We have What If coming soon. Should we talk about that or should we allocate that time to something else? Let us know. We're super excited. Austin and I also have another episode of Co-op Couch coming soon where we talk about video games once a month. So look
0: forward to that as well. Any new games I should know about, guys? No, it's been a terrible year for gaming. <laughs> There's like We're, so, we're struggling so hard to fill time on that show. <laughs> Everything's delayed. Everything's delayed. And lastly, we want, to hear, we want to hear
1: from you. Message us on Instagram at The Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Send us any new releases you checked out this year. Let us know your thoughts on the Loki finale or just let us know anything you like or don't like about our show. Anything you say
0: we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. Send us some hate. I want to read some hate yes. on the show and get hate Matt me. and Keith's thoughts. Hate me. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Fucking hates
0: me. (laughs) See you, guys.